industry under pressure. Innovation in its finest hour. This is the Oil & Gas Technology Podcast, where sharp minds reveal the brilliance and sheer determination turning great ideas into new realities. Hear about how it happens in real life with your host, Michael O'Sullivan. The views of the host are expressly his own and should not be construed as the views of any other corporation, consortium, governing body, or interplanetary federation. All right, folks, I have here today on my trusty iPad Pro an article. Well, this is too, is this, what is this? Yeah, it's too long to be an article. I'm, I'm going to call this a white paper. It's like a white paper with a lot of colors and pictures. Uh, but anyway, it uh, comes from a company called Wavestone. Now, I haven't, um, I, ha- I had not heard of Wavestone prior to uh, finding this. And uh, so, so to be honest, I'm not really. I, I did. A, I looked them up very quickly, and uh, uh, they're based in France, and it looks like they do some some uh, consulting and things. Uh, so, if you're listening and you are actually work for Wavestone, I apologize that I didn't have time to do more homework. But this particular paper was written by a couple of guys here from Wavestone. Oh boy. Okay. So the name the names are French. So uh, I'm going to do my best, but it's probably not going to be very good. Uh, let's see, Arthus de Boisjoli, maybe, maybe, and, uh, oh, well, the second one is Thomas, although I'm sure, I mean, it's spelled like Thomas in English, but I mean, I'm sure that's not how you say it in, in French, uh, Thomas Le Bonhomme, so Bonhomme, something like that, um, best I could do, and, uh, they wrote this paper, and the title is, and here we go, now we're getting to the thing. Uh, the title is Asset Management and the Digital Transition, Making Sense of It All. Now, if you, you might be, you know, uh, you might be listening to that saying, uh, that sounds a little old. I mean, that doesn't really sound current. And that's the, actually the fun thing about this is uh, that it was written, uh, these guys wrote this in 2017, which those of you faithful listeners who listen faithfully will know that 2017 is the year that I that I pick for when uh, digital transformation really got serious in the oil and gas business. Now, I know there are those of you seasoned industry vets who will say, no, 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 we've been doing this stuff for, for a long time, for decades. Well, we just came up with a fancy new word for it digital transformation. And, and I understand that. And of course, I, I'm, I'm the first person to get on that soapbox. Uh, however, just in terms of this current period um, in the industry that I think started around 2017, and there's a whole story behind why I think that, uh, which I don't have time for right now, but uh, 2017 to 2022, we were about five years into companies really getting serious about this, certain capabilities uh, that we talk about on the show all the time. So uh, so these guys wrote this in 2017, and they have a, it's pretty good forward-looking, which, as you also know, if you listen uh, regularly, you know that sometimes I like to, to go back, to kind of rewind a little bit and say, what did we say then, and how did it turn out now? And, uh, and I got I to gotta hand it to these guys. Uh, they're pretty on the money. Uh, the article opens up like this. Whether you work for a transport company, an energy supplier, a large industrial group, uh, industrial asset management, oh, excuse me. I kind of ran that sentence together. Whether you work for a transport company, an energy supplier, or a large industrial group, industrial asset management can significantly improve your company's competitiveness. All right, moving along. Um, Because because I butchered that sentence, so we're just going to... We're just going to move along. Here we go. The digital transition offers huge opportunities for industrial assets... Predictive maintenance, computer vision, remote diagnostics, connected objects, low-frequency networks, and all the things that we talk about now uh, that are, have actually been happening and being and been brought into the world. So, uh, so good job, guys. And it's a great article, actually. They they do a pretty good job of breaking down exactly what's involved with asset management, how digital transformation can can uh, can have an impact. And, uh, you know, I don't have time to, I don't have time to give you the full preview, but, um, I can tell you that, uh, 2017, they did a pretty good job of, of, uh, of describing 
what things, where things were going. And that gets us to our episode today, because today we're going to look a little bit at, all right, so so how are we doing with this, with all this stuff in the world of heavy industrial asset management in oil and gas? And uh, where are we at and what can be done and, 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 and how do we have success? But first, a couple things I got to tell you. First, 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 is uh, if you are listening to this episode in, your, in whatever your usual manner is on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or what have you, um, uh, then I will call your attention to the show notes where there is a link. Uh, presumably, if we remember to put it there, there'll be a link to the video version. Yes, this episode has a video version, and uh, we've been trying to do that a little bit more lately, ever since uh, the guys over at Arc Specialties have helped us out with this cool new studio. And so uh, this one does have a video version. And uh, um, and so, you know, now, if you're, if you're listening to this while you're riding your bike, I, you know, I don't recommend that you try to flip over to to YouTube right now and, and watch it. But, you know, if you're if you're just uh, sitting around eating your sandwich or or something like that and uh you know you know flip over you know go go to the link it'll take you to to youtube and uh, our youtube the oggn youtube channel which by the way speaking of oggn welcome to the oil and gas tech podcast on the oil and gas global network which is the largest and most listened to network of podcasts for the oil and energy industry and we do have a youtube channel um it's not our primary way of distributing content as you know we, we do the podcast but but there is some good stuff on the youtube channel including a number of episodes for this show. So it's just it's just one more way that we're trying to maximize your experience. I don't know. <laughs> that one just kind of fell apart. What else? Oh, yes. Today's episode is made possible by a relatively new sponsor we have here at OGGN. Um, they're not they're not brand brand new, but um, but but they're still relatively new. And the company is Hexagon. Hexagon, particularly particularly <laughs> there, the part of Hexagon that deals with uh, with with the heavy industrial asset management, and they are doing um, and and they're doing some fantastic stuff in oil and gas, bringing all of the capabilities, uh, much like uh, these things that uh, our friends here at Wavestone have written about. Uh, the folks at at Hexagon, no, yeah, Wavestone. Wavestone wrote about the folks at Hexagon are are making those things realities. And in fact, uh, the two guests I have today are actually from Hexagon. Um, but lest you think, lest you think that this is just going to be an extended sponsor um, message infomercial. It is not uh, because these two guys have been in the, they've both been in the oil and gas industry for a long time. They've also known each other for a, I think a pretty long time. And so we had we had a great conversation about uh, about this about all the things that are going on in this particular part of the <laughs> all the great things going on in this particular part of the business. So, ladies and gentlemen, please give a warm OGG and welcome to Dan Morrison and Michael Johnson. And we are back at our favorite place over here on the west side of Houston, the, the still relatively new hat studio, which has been lovingly supplied by our, I'm looking around at all of our, we have, we have, we have all kinds of people here today, um, by our friends at ARC Specialties, uh, which uh, Dan Alford, the founder of ARC, refers to as the Robot Club. And, uh, and, and it's getting better in here. So those of you who have been following along at home, there's continuous new additions. Every time I come back, there's better stuff. So, um, so we're back here, and today I've got with me Dan Morrison and Michael Johnson from a company called, well, the big company was Hexagon, but now you guys have, have there's a part that's, I don't know the story there, like split off or a sub part or whatever. We're going to get to that in a minute, but, um, but you call it Hexagon, right? That's yes, the, that's, that's where Hexagon. you're at. Asset life cycle. Asset, yeah, right, right, right. Intelligence. So it's like a division or something. Anyway, um, so guys, thanks, thanks for coming over here. Did you have any trouble? Like, it's kind of weird outside. No, it looks a little different. It's yeah. Easy to get into. I, I love the studio. Man. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, so it, it looks when you're when you're outside, it looks a little bit like an abandoned building, and you wonder, <laughs> is this really the place where I'm supposed to be? But I appreciate you guys um, making time. 
Let's uh, do a little bit of, and we're just, I mean, so I didn't know either one of you guys before today, um, and I didn't really do any homework on you. So, um, so let's do a little bit about like who you are. And I, I, I've, what I've gathered so far is that you, you've known each other for a while, I think. Right. Oh, yeah. And you both kind of go way back in the industry. So we're going to try to keep like, don't start in 1967 <laughs> and tell me the whole story from there. Just kind of uh, like, where'd you come from and how'd you get to where you are? Uh, I've been in the upstream business for over 25 years. A big chunk of it was with Halliburton, spending deep water, land, domestic, international completions, fracturing, drilling operations. Yeah, yeah. And uh, eventually moved more into the software side of it, anomaly detection, edge type of technologies, high-performance computing, cloud on the edge, IoT type of applications in the upstream sector. But, and I really compliment, you know, my my partner over here, might as well call us Shake and Bake, you know, because I have the downstream, uh, the edge and the downstream and the field side of it. And, and I'll let Michael talk about his background. Okay, but wait, but first, but first yeah. I got to ask you a question. So what made you, so you started out in, in the, in the real, the real world, right? Yeah. yeah. What made you a believer in, uh, like, so when you, you moved over to software, digital, uh, like how, what, well, uh, sometimes, sometimes those guys aren't like, that's not always like what they want to do. Well, actually one of the first digital twin projects I worked on was back in 1997. Did and you call we, it a digital twin? Uh, we didn't call it that back then. No, no. But it was a digital twin where we created a computer model to uh, simulate a cool tubing reel. And we had to do this from a reliability standpoint in deep water. Up until that time, the methods were just strictly doing running feet. And this was the first time where we actually modeled the fatigue going into the string and retired the string based on these uh, synthetic digital numbers and we reduced our failure rate by like 500% in the first year. I did an SPE paper on it and actually did a, a presentation for the Evangelin chapter this past February uh, discussing it. But that was really the seeds where I start seeing the power of simulation and modeling and, and what you can do with that data. Yeah, we could, well, we could go off on a whole tangent because, <laughs> because, um, because you're not the first uh, person to come to, who's been in the industry for more than a couple of days um, to say, well, we were doing this stu these models a long time ago. We just didn't call them digital twins. Um, but then I've I've had other folks say, um, and it, I guess it was a uh, oh, um, let's see, we did a, I did an episode on well, his name is escaping me. My friend from Technip FMC who who said that in his mind, but what really makes it a digital twin is when you. So sure, we always did these analytical models and mm -hmm. simulations. Um, George Danner, too, from uh, Business Laboratory, he's been doing those things for a long, long time. But what makes it a digital twin is when you operationalize it right. to where it's it's continuously, it, it's it's a it's a simulation of an ongoing operation, not a simulation of a, sort of a point in time thing. Right. Right. So that um, that's why I said we could open up a whole. Well, you you know the first digital twin was Apollo. Oh. spacecraft when they uh what was it, apollo 13 they ran into the trouble and the training simulator that they'd used to train the astronauts is what they used to diagnose oh, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. the problem and that was sure. the the you know the, that was so they the, came up the, with like the vacuum tube pose and the duct tape and the wasn't that the no that they, was they simulated all that on the ground yeah, yeah. they simulated it right. before because right, right. if you go, couldn't if you go, go watch, watch the, the movie spacecraft. there's a guy that's in the capsule yes trying to hit all the switches to get the right to sequence figure out that it was ah. yeah so all right so, so. all right good enough about you okay um, <laughs> Michael <laughs> okay so um, I'm again I've been in the industry a long time and um, I started my career at with uh, Exxon. Uh, in the Baytown refinery and had a, n another role in uh, on Prudhoe Bay in Alaska for a while. And then I lived in Louisiana and New Orleans working in the onshore, offshore divisions of Exxon. Yep. Did a lot of stuff. Kind of an interesting story on that is um, one of my colleagues and I, still one of my best friends today, we had the like very first IBM PC at Exxon. 
And um, when I started out, we were doing stuff on punch cards, and yeah. I can remember the old hard card and all this stuff. And so I'm kind of giving my age away there a little bit. But anyway, spent that time. Then um, Audrey's sitting over here going, I have no idea <laughs> what you're anyway, talking about. Anyway, so, you know, and um, we did a lot of development work. Not, I wouldn't say development work, but a lot of work in the anal analysis side using Lotus 1, 2, 3 and yeah, yeah. Harvard <laughs> Graphics and all that. And yeah. we were applying that to... Harvard Graphics, I'd forgotten. I haven't heard that in a long yeah, Anyway, time. so, I mean, all this stuff we were doing. Yeah. Anyway, today he's now been with Apple Computer for 35 years. Yeah. And I've jumped around. I worked at Saudi Aramco in the Middle East for eight years. I uh, came back to Shell, Texaco, Saudi Aramco Joint Venture. But I always had this desire to get involved with technology. Yeah. So uh, in, the, in that process, I was working on a big SAP project. I won't go into all the different details, but I got into SAP yep. stuff. Ended up joining uh, SAP in that process. Was there about 12 years. Got hired out by IBM to be a partner trying to drive that business in our oil and gas utility business. And then somehow I jumped over and got into Accenture. And oh, then, wow. okay. and yeah. then uh, this N4 pulls me in because they're trying to restart that with all of their stuff. Yeah. And then we sold off half of the asset that Coke Industries owned on the N4 side. This asset management stuff that Dan and I are part of today got sold off to Hexagon, and so that's how we became Hexagon. Ah, okay, yeah. So, okay, so I was thinking of it the wrong way. I was thinking of it like there was a division of Hexagon that kind of got rebranded as something. But you actually were from an uh, from the M4 side. So, uh, so they sold. Coke industry. They sold Coke, for a right. cash yeah. price. Yeah. To Hexagon paid Coke Industries yeah. for that part of the asset, right, right. but Coke kept like seven eight percent of of it as stock in Hexagon. Right. So there's still a relationship there. Got it, got it. And all that kind of ties together. So Hexagon, what is it, Asset? What's what's the name of it? Asset Lifecycle Intelligence, ALI. Asset, okay. Because I saw something about EAM, too. I guess that well, was... Enterprise Asset, asset management. management. Yeah, yeah. So Asset, so Hexagon Asset Lifecycle Intelligence, which is actually formed by an acquisition. Okay, got it, got it. So what, um, so since we're on the subject, um, which, by the way... Um, also, a big thanks to Hexagon for uh, you guys are in our in our sponsor rotation now, which is great. That um, um, that you it's, it's a very exclusive club. <laughs> Friends of OGGN, uh, we really so it's true. I always say this: we love our sponsors, um, uh, but because not just because they help pay the bills, but which we do need. But um, but it sort it kind of creates this like Mark always says. Mark Lacour says you're in the family now, which I, <laughs> I, I um. You'd be amazed though how many people I've run into, and everybody is all link. and everybody's all connected. So it's yeah, so it's really so so it's kind of like this. Uh, um, we also we also do these uh, these. Uh, I don't know if you guys have been to the monthly industry mixers that we have on the last Thursday of every month, but it's like. Um, it's out of the cannon, and we do. Oh yeah, we yeah, we probably been in one of those. I call it. I nowadays I call it. It's like the oil and gas people like refuge support group <laughs> because you can go there, and when somebody asks you what do you do, you don't have to cringe. Like when you're on an airplane, yeah. and somebody says what do you do, and you're like 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 a lot of people are like, oh, do I tell them I'm in oil and gas because I don't know what's gonna happen next. <laughs> um, so so it's it's a it's like a friendly group anyway. Um, so this this part uh, Hexagon asset lifecycle mm -hmm. intelligence. Um, what's what like what's hot right now in terms of your so assets imply big industrial facilities. We all know that we're trying to bring intelligence and modernization to those facilities. We've been at it for a while. Like what? Well, how how are we doing? With that, you, I mean, wanna, you want to start off, or do you want how, yeah, like one, one thing maybe we back up just a pinch, and that is, Hexagon came out of like nowhere, building this business model around um, what they call um, smart digital reality. smart digital reality, and they're doing a lot of stuff like they own all the data services or the data oh, yeah. behind Google Maps, Apple Maps, and so geospatial kind of technologies they drove there. They're doing a lot of development work in self-driving cars, all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. The group we're in is a group of 
of companies that have been kind of commingled together that's working on the industrial side. So think of a company, if you remember a company called Integraph. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay, so that's the project side of Got it. Hexagon. Okay. Then they've gone out and bought some operating companies like J5, which does like operator rounds and all that, and PAS, which is helping monitor process control systems and yeah, yeah. all yeah. this kind of stuff. And then they added our asset stuff to that. that and so. Right. What we're trying to do is bring all that portfolio together, and we can kind of, I guess, go from that platform. We're, you know, we're, we're starting to drive this digital platform, and we can kind of talk about how that's starting to yeah, yeah. impact the industry. One of, one of my close friends is one of the, the big uh, drilling engineers globally for a lot of deep water projects, and he's spent time at several of the majors. And he has a project coming up, and he was like, "Man, I want to talk to y'all about developing, you know, leveraging this this digital twin concept, especially around predictive analytics, preventative maintenance, prescriptive maintenance." And I said, "Well, who whose rig are you picking up?" He said, "X, Y, and Z." I said, "Well, they already run our enterprise asset management software on their rig, yeah, and their subsea BOPs utilize our SDX and our J5 technology to operate and uh, monitor the BOPs, subsea BOPs." Yeah. So I said, "You already, you already getting this on location." So, yeah. So you're done. It's sort of like, yeah, we're <laughs> you know the old BSFs deal. You know, we don't make the products you buy; we make the products you buy better. There's a lot of times you're touching our technology and you don't even realize it. Right. Yeah. And I think if you look at our asset stuff, you'd say, well, you know, there's other people out there doing that too um, that we compete with. And we that we brought that application and that application is really robust, ranks really high about how easy it is to use and used in a mobile environment and all that kind of stuff. But I think where the industry's going is trying to figure out how do we – take that application where somebody's inputting information either as a physical inspection or we're starting to use IOT and sensor technology to monitor some asset and how do we start how do we take that and capture that information and play it back and then play it across this and there's a lot of things going on one of the you know I don't know if I want to talk about the digital backbone but yeah yeah, yeah. so hexagons really thought through and said hey we're building this digital backbone, digital data backbone. And so think of it like you got projects over here where they're constructing a f facility and you got all the engineering, you got all the design, you got all that. You come over here, you got operations, you got the PAS and the J5 and some of those applications. We just talked about how they help monitor facilities or process control and that. And then you bring our application in with that. And it's really about how do we build that platform so all that stuff connects together. And the one simple example I'd use is if you go to the project side, one of the things they're trying to do on the digital side, and there's a number of customers in the industry that have done it, is they've digitized all of those PNID draw yeah, drawings. Yeah. But it's more than that. It's how do you bring that alive? Right. And so if you got a compressor sitting there, right. and let's say that the manufacturer is GE or somebody like that, yeah. the question is, can we get all the updates about capacity and right. and and all the things like that on that and then bring that across the backbone so that updates in our systems where we're trying to do analysis or inspection and all that with our thing and bring that in so it all becomes synchronized and basically does stuff from a master data standpoint we you yeah. haven't been able to do yet. And so. it keeps you from having to re-enter the data several different times because a lot of the values yeah. of it, yes. Yeah, so, I, and there's people, and all these things, all these initiatives are kind of playing together, right? Because there's people who, are, and I don't know, maybe you guys may be doing this, but creating the visual twin uh, so that I can basically, like, fly around that facility visually. 3D. Find that compressor, zoom in on the compressor visually, and then get the PNID and, and then and update stuff. And then all of that, of course, you know you can build all that as a standalone thing, but your point about the data backbone is when it starts to integrate with all the other systems, that's when and, it well, you know, pushing it back out to like your uh, connected worker. He might be having a, you know, a laptop or, uh, right. You know, some, or like a monocle with a little oh, thing in front of you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like the augmented digital, like, yeah. you know, augmented reality. That's a real deal coming down the pipe. Oh, yeah, we were talking about the M Cloud. We were all at the M Cloud. Man, right? that's that's yeah. some Star Trek stuff. It's, that's it's cool that's stuff. that's yeah. what I envisioned twenty years ago, and just now you're starting to see, 
you know, technology catch up with it. But, you know, it's not only the connected worker, but let's say you had like 150 pumpers out in a large field. You can be tasking them and having it optimize their course and their routing. Yeah. And at the same time, they get to a a situation, they can pull up the, the problem and with through like prescriptive maintenance, they could have a checklist that they have to go through. Yeah, and yeah. your senior guys, that might not be a big value add, but the the where the workforce there is are today, fewer senior guys. It, <laughs> let me tell you, the world changed after yeah. COVID. Yeah, prior no. to COVID, there was a lot of resistance to uh, this digital connectivity and, and leveraging all these tools. After COVID, it's like our industry. Well, it, it, kinda, it, yeah, it kind of forced us to do some things that we probably should have already done. Right. right. But we were resistant. So it sort of, it, yeah. yeah. It comes back to this data issue, though, capturing it. And so what you just described with the VR is, yeah, I can see it. But then how do you take action on it? Right. Exactly. Yeah. And and the action is often void of information to take action on. Like it doesn't have historical data in there. Right. Or the these systems haven't been integrated well, so that you know when a work order is done and all that stuff's not, it might be getting captured great in the ERP system, but it's not really right, right. back on the asset. Or the contract management is yeah. Um, so so this kind, of, <laughs> I just noticed there's a Miami Vice sign on the back of that door. There's got to be a, there's a story behind that. I'm sure. Um, uh, it comes back to the question that I started asking, which is, and I'm always curious about this. Uh, because we've been at this, so a lot of things that we're talking about here aren't aren't uh, they're they're newish ideas in the industry in the big picture, the big broad spectrum of the industry. But they're not they're not like new like this year's ideas. It's been a few years that we've. It's been I, I usually put the marker like around 2017 when a lot of the industry started really uh, getting serious about pursuing these kinds of things. What I'm curious about is how you know people come on podcasts and talk about this stuff all the time right and it makes it sound like you know me included it makes it sound like it's happening out there mm-hmm. um but how, how how are we doing in terms of the average facility and how much progress have we made with this type of modernization? I'm all, no i'm all you're like they're pointing at, <laughs> no, he, no he has a good answer to this i mean so um you can leave customer names out you don't have to <laughs> no no so think of it like um we just talked about this digital backbone yeah. and what we're really trying to do is we don't care whether it's somebody else's information on a third party or another application, you know, how do we integrate all that together and build that backbone? Right. The problem is, is right now you can go build a really, really good digital backbone on a greenfield basis. What that means is. Oh, right. I know where you're going. Yeah. So on a green, easy, right. Yeah. In greenfield, you're designing it and you're constructing it with EPC. They turn it all over. It's all right there. When you get into what we call brownfield. Yeah. I've heard estimates that if you go look in the oil and gas and the chemical industries, all those facilities, there are about 80, 85% of them never been digitized yet. They're still with all the back end. So you got to figure out a way. Yeah. How do you bring all that together and digitize it? And there are things happening. I mean, we've got um, Spot, our little Spot. dog that runs around. Yeah, we've got yeah. digital drones. We've got where we can do scans of facilities, and we've working with several software companies to do that, where we can scan that and kind of build that new digital footprint of that uh, of that brownfield asset. And then once you kind of have all that, you can start putting all this stuff together. And so we're not saying that we're fixing this tomorrow. Yeah, sure. And and, and one of the problems is a lot of the business processes, when you get in with these companies, I look at it more not just from data but process Processes too. Is the maturity level of people being able to do this is we're, you, you're often probably going to find that most people are doing it Manual. They got a guy walking around with a clipboard, and he's writing it around, and then they say, "Oh well, I've got an EA, I've got an, I've got an asset management system, but he's having to go back to his office and enter it in on a <laughs> on a on a computer and all that. It's not on yeah. a mobile device. Yeah. So there's a maturity curve in there, and we're talking about getting it, getting a data backbone early. that allows you to get up with IoT and machine learning and 
and digital and all you, that. And yeah, so, and you get and, and that's not going to happen overnight. But you've got to get this foundation set up it's in this platform. Yeah, and you and we you kind of we, we glossed over data quality, which becomes like once you actually have all the data digitized, now the the whole quality problem right uh, comes into play. Um, but the like the example that always comes up, but to your point is. Uh, the example always comes up, and the and the OSI soft people, please don't hate me for this, but people have said the historian, right? Mm -hmm. Like we've been we've been putting data in historians for a long time and not doing much. And what do we what do we do? We do. I think we <laughs> yeah, but, 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 but look at look at OSI of the data in the whole field. But, but look at what OSI soft has done historically. That great historians, great. It's tremendous. It, but right? you only um, execute or take action on maybe one percent. That's the point, right? And okay. the amount and, of data and when they did is that, increasing. What did they do? It's not slowing down. But what did they do? Because well, I was looking at OSI soft when I was at SAP 10, 15 years ago. What did they do with that data? Actually, at one time, SAP owned 20% of OSI soft. People don't know that. but um. You can tell which one's the finance guy. He's always, the transactions always come into the picture. But anyway, you know, but what would they do with that? That that 1% would go to an operator and he would manually take action. Yes. Right. And what we're trying to do with that one percent now is take that data, or that coming out of OSI Soft, and make an action like a notification or a yeah. workflow. Contextualize or, or, the data. Yeah, and right, right. And then is it somebody manually having to do something? Maybe is it something that our automation can handle? Maybe because the idea long term is to get automated. Yeah, yeah. So, AI smartification and contextualization yeah. Smartification. Are yeah. I could uh I know a few people that could use <laughs> I could use some, some of that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um present company not excluded. Um so but you said something, uh, Michael, you said something uh that opens up a a, a a a big question, which is you said, Okay, well, we're not we're not uh saying we're gonna this isn't gonna be accomplished overnight. Um, you know, we've been working at it for a while, but there's a long, we're kind of early in the curve for, uh, so for people, for some of the people who are out there in the real world saying, yeah, we, you know, we're supposed to be accomplishing all these things, but like, where do we start and what do we like, here's where we're at in reality. How do we, you know, you know, apart from call Dan and Michael and they'll come over and fix it for you. Um, where, how do you coach your customers or other people in the industry on how do they make meaningful progress? Just start an engagement process. I mean, I think Gardner says 70% of all digital uh, transformation projects fail. Yeah. And I think most of them fail because they come in and their concept of even, you know, digital twin is very overused. And some people think, well, I've got to have a digital twin, yeah. so I'm just going to boil the ocean. Two of them, and when you, of them. And yeah. when you try to boil the ocean, you normally don't succeed. Yeah, right. So coming in and doing a discovery process, and that's where me and Michael really ex – that's, that's where I thoroughly enjoy this job because we get to go in and spend some time with some of the executive teams. And it's not that we're going to get into the details – it's forming a strategy around what's what's the biggest bang for your buck and how can you get there and what's a what's a feasible roadmap and so that you start and do something that's effective rather than doing something that's right. well and you got to go in where you're not telling them right what it is you got to really go in and observe what you see yeah and then map that back to what we can tell them that it is you know because everybody's a little bit different you know and, and there's huge change management issues. You got this. What's really accelerating this right now is the fact that they retired all these people. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's no. They have to get on the stick. There's that. Yeah. So what are you seeing? So as you're doing this with folks, what are you seeing? Like bubble to the top, in terms of like first good targets to shoot at, or in terms of objectives to try to accomplish. Well, I mean, and I think that has to do with like we we have a. a spectrum of products uh whether it's pas or j5 or sdx and i look at our, our eam solution as sort of like if if it's a entity or operator or service company starting off from scratch this is their digital training wheels this is the way to start taking yeah, their sure. processes right. off of spreadsheets and big chief tablets and migrating them into it and as they become more mature and their needs are a lot more robust and technical, yeah. they can expand out. But, you know, you start someplace. Now, 
other entities might be you know way down the uh, the trail on the maturity cycle on the you know their maintenance and maturity cycle on that in digitalization process and they might need some of the other programs more than they need like our enterprise asset management but really they all were you know they all have their overlaps but they all enhance each other yeah 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 i see a lot of um I mean, what surprising thing comes to me is I spent tons of time on the ERP side, so I know that side really well yeah. and how all those things developed and all that. And what I see when I come over here that surprises me the most mm. is how manual everything still is. <laughs> and some of the <laughs> okay, and in and, and some of the most simple things. <clears throat> that we have technology that are very robust. Like, so, like an example. What's an example? Everything on our phone, on our yeah, on our applications available on your iPad or on your iPhone or on your Android machine, out of the box. Yeah, you know, and so so when you say with so when you say it's surprising to you how how manual things are, um, um, and I and I always I'm always I like to be careful about this because the oil and gas industry does take a lot of um, it's not just the oil and gas industry, uh, right? And we take a lot of unwarranted flack about. Um, you know, being old fashioned and stuck in the '90s and this and mm -hmm. other, which is a lot of times dis dis. So when, so when you take that perspective and you sort of like paint the industry with that brush, you're 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 not you're looking past a lot of innovation that's that has happened. Oh yeah, you're also ignoring a lot of the complexities that cause that you can't appreciate right unless you're. In it, you know, you don't appreciate the complexities that have caused things to not change as quickly, maybe as people like. Well, th think of it. The, think of the iPhone. Yeah. When, I can recall back in having conversations 2008, 2009, 2010, 2011, 2012 about how do I want to enable this application that we've been working off our desktop on? Yeah. 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 How do I mobilize it? How yeah. do I put it in a truck? You know. Right. And, and at that time, you got all kinds of issues, not just the application stuff, but you got like communication issues. Yeah. Can you synchronize it? Can you do all that? Right, yeah, yeah. That stuff has just come to, has been slowly coming into the market where right. it's now available now. So that will help accelerate that curve. Yeah. But yeah, you, can't, you can't really say that people are not doing the innovation. That's right. not true. Right. Let, let right. me, uh, touche, you're right. There's been a lot of advancements we've done, and you know, necessity is the mother of invention. And a lot of things that were done, like out in West Texas, you know, they were done based on efficiency and productivity. Uh, but things change. For example, flaring. Flaring wasn't a problem five years ago. Right. Today, apparently, it is. Today, it's well, a massive well, problem, well, yeah. and so. Uh, you had where you were running off these simple systems because they were functional and effective. But yeah. now, now you don't run components to failure. Now you want to prevent a flaring incident because of the you know the methane molecule versus right, the CO2. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so the whole environment's changed, and that's been the impetus to sort of change some of the thought processes and improve it. So well, I, I mean, if that would have been there five years ago, we would be where we're at today. Yeah, right. But but remember what. I, I just we discovered back in 2012 our developers in that asset thing had the technology to cart to do carbon capture mm. and monitoring but they couldn't find a market for it in 2012 <laughs> right <laughs> okay and so but we can cut you know we're kind of looking at that well we're just going to pull that back into the system a little bit because we can you know tag all that stuff this is where the data is getting you know the, getting so monitored. they have the technology for carbon capture. So there's the there's the actual capturing it, like pulling it back and out of the air. But then there's the document. Then there's the mo like the measuring and like because the question comes up like, how are you going to measure the the emissions of a of a refinery? Well, you take the handheld on our asset, yeah. and you, you correct me if I'm wrong on this because you'll know this better than me. You take the handheld, and you're going to say, oh, I just measured. 10 on whatever that measurement point is, mm -hmm. but that's been calculated to equal something else in the system to say what that means from an... There's a correlation, there's right? There's a correlation, yeah, yeah, yeah. so then you can like then report off of that. Is it... Yeah, and there's a lot of different emerging I mean, technologies like LIDAR from satellite doing right. plume emissions. You know, 
they have the whole Project Astra out in West Texas, which is a consortium with all the major players in service companies and universities on using high-frequency sensors to mm-hmm. develop a, a digital, virtual digital universe and measure uh, methane emissions and also, you know, control, you know, figure out who's who's emitting and who ain't. A lot of times people are getting yeah. blamed for somebody else's. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, <four laughs> that goes. yeah, that's like <laughs> a problem for, for a I long can remember time, yeah. in the geospatial, <laughs> you know, in the geospatial space. Yeah. 15 years ago, it was really hard to figure out where your assets were and how yeah. you play all that out. You didn't have all these things off Google and all that stuff. Now... You know, that's the kind of stuff we're able to bring through. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, you, uh, well, that's a whole nother, that's a whole nother can of worms there. Um, but um, <laughs> <laughs> we were talking about that a little bit before. But Michael, when we were talking earlier, uh, so I, I want to stay on the track of how do we uh, kind of, how, how does somebody effectively pursue these objectives so where it's not just, you know, um, it's not just buzzwords or it's not just something that you tell your board and put in your annual report, but that you're actually getting it done. Um, and you mentioned this earlier when we were chatting before we turned everything on, you said something about applications versus data, like, like the applicate, like there's plenty of applications, and this comes back to your data backbone thing, but we've done, we've created a lot of applications that do a lot of really good things, but like with everything in oil and gas, it always comes back to this data problem. And, and I don't remember what all else you said. Well, I think another thing helping is, so you, would, if you looked at our systems today, we're building everything in a modern digital backbone in a modern platform in the cloud. Okay. Like well, on an AWS or on a Microsoft Azure and all that. And that enables us to put business, you know, a lot of business process standards and those types of things in there. And total but, cost of ownership. And, and the total cost of ownership goes way down. So the, so that you know, so the cost of operating all that stuff has really gone down because of that. Yeah. And when you looked at, I think we brought up OSIsoft at one point. You know, yeah. Those were all siloed systems. You know, right, by right. everyone. And and even within our hexagon, all our stuff was built in silos. And now we're trying to bring it into this platform to work yeah. all together. Yeah. So, so how's that going? It's kind of what's going good. good. I mean, because because you're not the first people that have ever tried to take a whole bunch of things that were developed individually and bring them into a platform. And sometimes sometimes that's a real challenge. Well, I mean, one of our uh, one of our principles in designing the architecture of our software is to have it be very uh, out of the box, functional, uh, configurable, not customized code. And probably one of our best examples is the CERN Super Collider. It's the most complex machine ever built, mm. and it runs off our EAM software with zero customization. Really? Yeah, out of the box. I did not know that. What is it? And so when you say it runs off of, it manages the whole super collider, all the third all the party. Things you know how the maintenance is done. Yeah. Coordinate between different uh, different operations, ongoing operations, work orders. There's, I'll, I'll send you a video. Over. That'll be good. Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. it's one of my favorites. Um, so, um, but in, so so it's good. Uh, so architecture wise, that keep that, it simple. That's the, that's the, and that's user what interface keeping that simple too, because you want your people in the field to utilize it. If it's complex and difficult to interface with, you're losing right off the bat. There's another thing happening in the industry, but I don't, I don't know how deep we want to go on this, but on this data issue, and that is historically um, everybody's tried to keep that data in sync. You'll hear it talked about as master data management process yeah, and all right, that. Right. Um, one of the major oil and gas companies that I've worked a lot with would tell you that, you know, they had, as they were trying to put their ERP in, they had eight instances of of the ERP and as they rolled into one and then tried to roll out number two and tried to roll out number three as they upgraded, the data just keeps right. going bad. Right. And I really believe what's starting to happen is we're, this is where Hexagon's really focused on. We want a smart digital reality, autonomous future. And there's a lot of effort that's going to start going into how do you automate all this data synchronization, this data management, and yeah. all this kind of stuff, and the, and the technology's there. 
offsetting that in the past has been a lot of integrators and oh, yeah, people yeah, yeah. and consultants and everything making a lot of money keeping that stuff up to date. Well, sure. The old, uh, I mean, you know, I grew up professionally in the consulting industry and, uh, you know, there was the old saying about, uh, if you're not, if you, if you, uh, if you, if you're not part of the solution, there's plenty of money to be made in prolonging the problem. Right? So, <laughs> so. I got to wrap that one down. <laughs> A friend of mine gave me that old plaque one time. And, um, uh, but, which, but the point is, I mean, I, I guess there were probably some characters out there who were really interested in just making money and prolonging the problem. But most of the time, it was because no, these, these complications just like it just keeps unraveling and unraveling. Um, now, there's some promise that says, well, there's been sort of this notion that, well, we bring all that together in the cloud now, and that solves all our silo problems, which, you know, you can sort of read that one from the surface and know that that's not. So how are you, how are you dealing with the, I mean, and I always say, I, I've said this for years, whenever we start talking about technology types of challenges in the oil and gas industry, we will always talk about three things. We will always talk about data, which we have. Right. We will always talk about silos, which we have. And the other thing that we touched on briefly that will always come into play is culture. And we've we've hit on culture to some degree too. So how do you, uh, so those things are still challenges. No matter how many cool apps we develop, how, how, how are people solving that, that data, bringing it all together and the quality and the whole thing? It, it's creating a architecture around that's plug and play friendly, both to your legacy data and to where you want to go in the future. Because, and and it's also being that sounds a little like magic, though, right? Well, no, but it's being right. technology agnostic at the edge. For example, okay. because if we went out and said, "Hey, these are the sensors you have to use." Pretty soon we'll, we'll be obsolete as soon as the industry goes to something else. Yeah. So it's really keeping the uh, building that data backbone, the smart digital reality to build off of that, and 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 be plug and play friendly both backwards and forwards in your in your transformation. I think there's another component too that gets overlooked. So as you build the data backbone, you now have visibility to the whole thing. As you execute against it where we do inspections or IoT and all that comes in, we now have to be able to play that back in some kind of decision support process. So there's a lot of reporting that has to be developed and come into this. And I think everybody thinks you can just build these reports, you know, out of the box. And I think, you know, a lot of definition has to be built around what are all those different use cases and kind of how do we prioritize that? Yeah. So when we do these uh, engagement process, we're trying to prioritize what's the biggest bang out of the business outcome we're trying to de deal with. Because if you go do a innovation workshop with these guys, they'll all come up with 150 ideas. Yeah, yeah. But you got to squeeze that down to what's the five that are going to create the, you know, well, and, and, and that a lot of times that's all about how you report and analyze on top of all that stuff. And it comes back to your, which also comes back to your uh, thing about the iPhone and connected worker and stuff, because, um, you know, the goal is what you really want to do is get those conclusions in front of the eyes of the person who's going to take the action, right? Right. Or you want to do something that's, you want to drive some automation. But in both cases, it's not just about writing a report that, you know, gets emailed to somebody and like, like I, you could do that. But ideally, you want these things to be to be brought into the field in like consumable, usable formats that integrate with the operation itself, right? right. Like Absolutely. you don't want to be the guy who says, well, every morning I need to remember to go check my email for these reports to get generated and then I got to look through them and see if there's anything important in there that I need to look at, right? You, I mean, I assume you... I, I worked on a project two or three years ago where um, it was in the downstream and at the end of the day, every day, they had it was all about production of hydrocarbon and where they were going to send it to. And every day they would um, have this challenge, and that was that there was all these little jobbers out there going and stealing all the inventory at the end of the day because these guys inside the company couldn't <laughs> figure out what they needed to do with the inventory fast <laughs> enough. So we worked really hard at building some artificial intelligence and some analytics and all that so that yeah. as they went through the day, they could see where their demand was, right, what right, their inventories right. were, how they could you know ship this stuff faster. And, you know, reduce that ability to have to, like, unload that stuff at the end right. of the day and end up in Costco with a G 
cheap price. <laughs> yeah, but to be able to see it in context in the normal course of the work that you're doing, um, that's a whole other sort of... And, and then if you start talking automation, it has to be even more precise, right? And also tying in a lot of disparate systems. Uh, I mean, some of the neat projects I've been working on here recently around RFID tags. Oh, yeah. yeah. And, you know, you have a truck that comes in from a job with a lot of iron on it. It goes through and says, oh, this one needs to be inspected. and Or you have a truck that's leaving and there's parts that are missing off of it. And that's type of uh, systems that that it on the edge could be a standalone system that still ties back into our yeah, our sure, enterprise. Sure. And all those things that we just described between what I talked about, and what he talked about, don't have a human touch. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. 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 Cool. All right. I we're gonna um, I want to wrap this up if for no other reason than I think the AC kicked off in here a while ago and it hasn't come back on. <laughs> so, so also we are getting at that. Uh, I got, I got my fancy timer up there. We're getting yeah. it. We are getting, we're getting at that point where, uh, you know, people maybe change the channel if we keep talking. So, um, it's, but interesting stuff. What, uh, I, so I kind of already asked you the question about what do people do who are trying to achieve these objectives? Um, uh, any other like guidance, advice for uh, for people out there who are um, trying to sort this stuff out? Michael, I think you know just understanding that when we engage, we're not just trying to sell you software; we're trying to help you solve a business problem. Yeah, right. You know, and you know that's kind of my passion. Is um, you know, I got I came out of the transactional side or the business side of oil and gas type things and i had a big yeah. interest in it and i'm just trying to make everybody's life better yeah uh, one of the trends i see is sensorization of yeah. brownfield assets high frequency sensors and the data density is just going to get denser and uh if you're not on your digital transformation journey you need to start it yeah so you can't um you can't, we can't just keep, we can't just, I think what's been happening so far to some extent as well, the brownfield problem is really difficult. So we're just not going to really, right. we're not going to touch it because it's too hard. Um, or maybe, uh, maybe that we don't expect that field to last much longer. We're going to, we're going to pull all that stuff up and move it somewhere else pretty soon. So, but the new sensors coming out, the high frequency sensors, they're non-invasive and the other thing they're cheap. Hmm. So what used to cost thousands of dollars and, you know, stopping production to put something in, the new sensors are things that can be installed without interruption and at a very low cost, which yeah. is probably another topic. Yeah, <laughs> it is, because we could get into, yeah, the whole sensor, um, because we also, we get into soft sensors and things like that, too. Um, coming back to the digital twins. All right. Maybe we'll do it. We may have to do a follow-up episode to this one where we where we pick one of these things and dig into it a little bit more, but that'll do it. Uh, I think that's going to do it for today. So uh, Dan Morrison, Michael Johnson, thanks again Thank you. for being Thank on the you. show. And uh, yeah, maybe we'll maybe we'll follow. We'll pick another one and we'll follow up and, and do some more uh, another day. Thank okay. you. All right. Thanks. Check us out next week for another entertaining and yet useful episode of Oil & Gas Tech Podcast a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com.